What's up? All right. Hey, um, you know, from time to time, I'll mess with y'all a little bit and, and uh, get on your case just a little bit about not getting excited enough in worship, and I'll compare it. You know, I'll say, I'll say you were at a football game and you were yelling more than that. I know now what to do. I'll, what I'll say is, you need to respond to Jesus like you would if somebody's handing out free t-shirts. Because a while ago, some of y'all people were losing your minds and yelling out, Chris, I'm over here! You know, all this kind of stuff and just going nuts. It was, that was awesome. It kind of took me by surprise. I'm a little afraid of some of you now after that, actually. That's all we're giving away for free, so don't attack me out in the atrium after we're done here. Hey, I want to bring it to your attention one more thing before we jump into today's message, and that is uh, Halloween Hoopla is coming up October 24th, just a couple weeks from now. We've had sign-ups going on out there for ways you can participate in that. That's a great opportunity for you to find a place to serve. One of the things here that we talk about all the time is everybody needs to find their place of service and gather together and do those kinds of things. And we also talk about the fact that you need to be building relationships with other people and getting to know folks. Um, that's a great place to do that at. If you serve beside somebody for three hours, handing out candy to kids, by the end of the evening, you're going to know them better, and it's going to be a good way for you to make some connections. So if you have not yet uh, signed up to participate in Halloween Hoopla, the sign-up sheets are out there in the atrium. Don't miss out on that opportunity, because uh, you really will be missing out if you don't take advantage of that. That's just an event that we do. We kind of give that to the community to say, hey, we care about kids we care about our city, and so we want to do this. So um, be sure that you uh, take time to look over those sign-up sheets. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to kind of review what we've done the last few weeks. If you haven't been here, or even if you have, just kind of remind you. We're in the middle of a series called The Best Question Ever, and it's based on a book that was written by Andy Stanley. If you don't have that book, I've, I've put a link on my blog before, but I'll put that again this week. I would encourage you, even after you listen to these messages, just to pick that book up and read through it. It's a real easy read, and it's, uh, it, it was one of those books that I read that I, when I got done, I thought, man, I wish I'd have known this 20 years ago, uh, definitely, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. It would have been great to know all this kind of stuff. So pick that up if you, if you haven't yet, but the basic premise of what we've been talking about is this, and, and you know this to be true. We have an epidemic of dumb in our country. We have an epidemic of dumb in the world. Us as humans, we continually do dumb things. And no matter how smart you are today, you can look back and something you did five years ago or ten years ago and say, man, that was dumb. I wish I hadn't have done that. And so God has provided a question, and we find it in Ephesians. And, uh, and, and if you read the, the, the book of Ephesians, there's a chapter, uh, a part of it that we read a couple of weeks ago. And there's a question that we can ask ourselves that will kind of help us live at the level of wisdom. And that question is, in light of my past experience, in light of my current situation, and in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? And if we will begin to learn to ask that question, answer that question, and then apply what we find out as we answer that question, then it will help us to live at the level of wisdom. Now, when you live at the level of wisdom, that's a level that the rest of our society normally doesn't live at. Uh, our society lives at the level of making the same dumb decision over and over and over again. And we've kind of seen a lot of that come to pass in the last few, uh, you know, several months with the financial situation in our country and other things like that. It's kind of the natural reaction to a lot of unwise decisions that were made over the years by a lot of folks. And so though, if we can learn to ask that question, we can live at the level of wisdom. And what I want us to talk about today is the fact that at some point in your life, <clears throat> You have crossed moral lines. 
If you were totally honest with me and totally honest with yourself, you would say, you know what, Cliff? There has been a lot of unwise decisions I've made, and some of the things I've done that were dumb, I crossed some moral lines. Right and wrong, I chose, willingly chose, to do the wrong thing. And I paid the price for it for a long time later on. And what we're going to talk about today is the fact that when we cross moral lines, that, that cr the, the crossing of that big moral line never just happens out of the blue. There are always things that lead to that. Let me kind of begin with a story, and maybe you're familiar with this story. There's a, uh, a, a large southern city, and, and uh, the police get a report that, that there's a man dead in an apartment, and so they show up at the apartment, and they, as they investigate, they find there's a man there who's been shot, and he's on his couch, and there's a woman there. She's been shot as well, and they start to investigate. They find out that the man was actually married, and he just has this apartment so that he can meet these ladies here, and, and one of his friends had come in and discovered him there. And as they continue to investigate, they find out that the woman who is there in the apartment who's dead, she was actually the girlfriend of this man who's married, who has kids, and, and should have been home with his wife and kids. And, and they, as they continue to investigate, they find out that the woman had murdered the man and then had killed herself. Now, if you haven't heard that story before, that's the story of Steve McNair, who was the quarterback for the Tennessee Titans and the Baltimore Ravens in his professional career. And as that story came out, there was a word that kept being used over and over again by the folks in the media and by his teammates and his friends, and they kept saying, this is a tragedy. It's a tragedy. This is a tragic situation. Now, I will admit that anyone dying by being shot is, is tragic, okay? But to me, a tragedy is something that happens out of the blue. We never saw this coming. This was not a tragedy, what happened to Steve McNair was simply the final step in a series of unwise choices that he had made. If Steve McNair had been at home with his wife and his kids and someone had broken into his house and shot him, that would have been a tragedy, him minding his own business. But what had happened was simply the ending of where sin leads us. And when we cross moral, uh, moral lines, and when we continue to make unwise decisions, they will lead us to a place that we'll, when we get there, we'll say, how in the world did I ever get here? You see, the unwise choices that he had made had led him to that point. And, and many, maybe you've been there before. If you've ever crossed a moral line, you know that before you cross that line, somewhere way down the road, you made an unwise choice which then led you to something else, and you made another unwise choice, which led you to something else, and then all of a sudden you crossed this line that you said you would never cross. So you're walking through life, and you're doing something, and you say, oh, there's nothing wrong with this. The Bible's not against this, and oh, that leads me to this thing. Oh, I can do this too. Nothing wrong with this. This isn't immoral. This isn't illegal. I can do this. Oh, this leads me to the next thing. I can do this as well. And then all of a sudden that leads you to this moral line, and boom, you've crossed that, and then you say, how did I get here? How did I end up having an affair? How did I end up being arrested for stealing or, or whatever it is that, that, that has happened? How, how, did, how did I get to the place where, where now my name is, is bad in the community and my family doesn't want to have anything to do with me because I've crossed this moral line? Well, the way you ended up there was very simple. You ended up there by ignoring wisdom along the way. If at any of the, and, and if at any of the places along the way you had stopped and said, wait a minute, what am I doing here? You, maybe you would have stopped and said, this isn't unwise, I can see, I, this is unwise, I can see where this is leading me, and I need to stop this. You see, when it comes to moral decisions, we need to understand that everything begins small. Everything begins small. It all begins with a, with a, 
a, a, you know, a dinner or, or an email or something that you shouldn't have done. And, and the big event, the, the actually crossing of the moral line, the big event is a surprise to you. Wow, where did this come from? I can't believe I did this. But the things that led up to the big event were not a surprise to you. In fact, you willingly made every decision and went along the way, and then all of a sudden you ended up at the big event where you crossed the moral line. You had willingly taken each step. There's a lot of ways to kind of make this point, but, but uh, the easiest way uh, you know, deals with adultery. And, and, but there, it doesn't have to just be adultery. There's a lot of moral lines we can cross. But, but think with me through this. I think you can follow this story pretty easily. There's a man and a woman, and they work together. They're, they're, they've never known each other before they work together, and they've been working together now a couple years. The man's married, woman's single. She's very attractive. He notices because he's a man, right? He notices that she's attractive. And as they continue to work together, w- one day they're both walking out uh, to the parking lot at the same time. It's lunchtime, and, and he says, what are you doing for lunch? She says, well, I, I haven't really thought about it. He says, well, why don't you ride with me? We'll go to lunch together, Okay. And so they go to lunch together. And maybe in his mind, he's thinking, well, I'm married. Should I go to lunch? But he's probably saying to himself, you know what? There's nothing wrong with going to lunch. People go to lunch every day. You got to eat. I got to eat. She's got to eat. It's a public place. There's no big deal. We'll just go to lunch together, right? So they go to lunch together. And then as they continue to, uh, to work together, one night they're working late. There's a team of people there. They're working late. And it's time for supper. And he says, hey, wh- why don't you go to dinner with me? I mean, we've been to lunch. So what's the big deal with dinner? It's just a different time of day. Once again, we're going to be in a public place. We're in a restaurant. No big deal. We're going to dinner. Now, you can see where this is leading, can't you? And you can see where this is going, and you know that at any point along the way, if you had gone to this man or this woman and said, hey, what you're doing is not good, they probably would have responded by saying, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm going to lunch, and I'm going to dinner. What's the big deal? You're overreacting. And so a few weeks later, they're continuing to work together and and they go to supper again one night and he begins to open up to her. And he begins to tell her about how things aren't that good at home and his wife isn't that understanding. And she's looking at him and thinking, wow, he's such a great guy. What's wrong with his wife? Why can't she see what a find he is? And so she begins to think, well, I'm just counseling with him. I'm just helping him. And there's even a verse in the Bible that says we should bear one another's burdens. So what I'm doing here is really a spiritual thing. And I'm just helping him out. Well, other people get paid to do counseling. And I'm doing this for free. I'm just being a good friend. And as they continue down that path, and then one night he drives her home and she invites him in. And it's, you know, well, everybody goes in. How many people have been into someone else's house? I go into other people's houses all the time. What's the big deal? But you can see where this is leading. And you can see what the end result is going to be. And when the end result finally happens, maybe one or the other or both of them would say, where did this come from? How did I get here? But it didn't begin by him going into the house. It began by him going to lunch with her. It began by a supper. You know, several weeks ago, our state was in the national news because of the actions of our governor. And I'm certain that Mark Sanford did not wake up one morning and say, you know what, I think I'm going to fly to Argentina and hook up with this lady who's not my wife and tell everybody I'm hiking on the Appalachian Trail. That didn't come out of the blue. That, that big, huge mess up where he put his relationship with his wife with his sons, with his staff, with his political party, with his state. He put all those relationships in jeopardy. That big mess up didn't just come out of the blue. It began a long time ago with a dinner that he had with this lady. There's nothing illegal, nothing immoral about a dinner, but it was unwise. 
And then it began with some emails that they continued to send. And then they began to open up to each other and tell each other things that husbands, I mean, that, that uh, guys who are married to other ladies don't tell to these ladies. And ladies who are married to another man don't tell to, the, to a man that's not their husband. And they began to share these things. And then pretty soon, one day, he has put everything in jeopardy. He has crossed this huge moral line. But it, and he probably asked himself, how did I get into this mess? How did I get into this mess? And once again, it was because he ignored wisdom. So here's a couple things that I want us to talk about today. There's two things that I think we can, we can do that will help us avoid these big moral failures, these big moral mess-ups. And, uh, and the first thing is this. You need to understand your capacity to do wrong. You need to understand the capacity within you to do wrong. And this is what I want you to do before we go any further. I want you to imagine, just for a second, I want you to think of a specific sin, a specific moral line that you would never cross. You say to me, Cliff, there's no way. There's other things I might mess up on. But this one thing, I would never in a million years, not if you paid me money, not if I had every opportunity. There's no way I would cross this line. I don't know what it is for you, but get that in your, don't dwell on it too long, all right? But get it in your mind. What is the one thing you say you would never do? Now, I want you to know something, that whether it's adultery or murder or stealing or any of those things that, that even right now, as I'm saying that, you, you're thinking, it even kind of, Cliff, it makes me even feel a little sick to my stomach to think about doing this thing because there's no way I would do it. No matter what it is, there is within you the capacity not only to do that, but to do it often. Now, why is that? Look at James, the book of James, chapter 1. James is in the New Testament. Hebrews is a, is a kind of a big book that's right before it. Hebrews, James. Chapter 1, I'm going to read two verses, verses 13 and 14, then we're going to read verse 15 in a minute. James 1.13 says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Verse 14, But each one is tempted when by his own, say these two words with me, evil desire, say it again, evil desire. He is dragged away and enticed. Here's the reason why that moral line that, that you say you will never cross, the moral line that I say I will never cross, here's the reason why the capacity is within me and within you to do that very thing. Because inside each of us lives the nature of sin. Just like it says there in verse 14, your own evil desire you see, oftentimes we blame temptation on everything else. Well, if I, hadn't, if I hadn't met that person, or if I hadn't seen this, or if I hadn't gone there and all that, and there's our places you should avoid and people you should avoid and things you should avoid seeing, definitely. But the, the very nature of sin lives inside of each of us. You see, part of being a human being is sin comes as standard equipment on us. When you're born. Now, yeah, I know you're thinking, wait a minute, Cliff, you know, we were born innocent and all that kind of stuff. Uh, how many of you have raised kids before? Do you have to train a kid to share or to be selfish? Which one do you have to train them to do? Kids come into the world selfish. Mine is one of the first words they learn. And they love to just grab stuff out of other kids' hands and knock them down and kick sand in their face. That's what little kids do. And what do we have to train them to do? No, we don't treat people like that. You only push them down when people aren't looking. No, that's not what we train them to do. 
But you, know, we have to, you have to train your kid to share, not to be selfish. And the reason why that is, is a long, long time ago, before all of us were here, there was a guy named Adam and a lady named Eve, and they lived in the Garden of Eden, and there was this tree, and God said, do not eat off of that tree, everything else is yours, and the one tree they made a beeline for and had to have the fruit off of was the tree God said no to, and that ushered sin into the world. And ever since that day, when we were born, we were all born with a bent towards sin, where sinning comes natural. Where crossing moral lines sometimes for us seems like and feels like the right thing to do. So one of the first things we need to understand is when we say, I'll never do that, I'll never go there, we need to understand that inside of us, all of us, lives the capacity to do that very thing we said we would never do. I heard a preacher one time say that, uh, that we have to be very careful saying what we would never do because he said that gets the devil's attention. I think there's probably a lot of truth in that. And, uh, you know, he said, if, if, if he says, well, I'll never. Now, there's a bunch of sins I might commit, but I'll never commit that one. He said he thinks the devil says, oh, you sure? Well, let me throw this in your face and see how you respond to that. So we need to just be very aware of the fact that we all are broken and that we all have the capacity to mess up. Look at verse 14 again. I love how it just kind of describes these three verses 13 14 and 15 it just kind of describes the nature of of how sin grows it says here but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed that's how it starts isn't it Ooh, look at that boy what i could do with one of those look at her i like it when she wears that look at that guy i'm really impressed by him and his big fancy car and all his money my husband just lost his job. And so all of a sudden, these things come into our lives, and, and we say, well, I'll never cross that line. But then we begin to get enticed by these things that come along, and that's where it begins. And so this capacity that, that we have to sin begins with that desire. And those innocent desires and those innocent looks and those things that we say, that's no big deal, you're overreacting, they can lead us to bigger things. Now here's the second thing that, that we need to know, and, and we're going to get really practical here, okay? So if you want to really make a plan for how you're not going to cross moral lines, zero in on this for the next, to the end of the message, because we're going to get real practical. If you want to be sure that you're not going to cross moral lines, the, the thing you need to do is this. You need to get as far back from the line as possible. You need to get as far back from the line as possible. Now, knowing limitations and getting really close to those limitations is natural for us as humans. For example, if the speed limit is 70, there's not a one of you in here that says, you know, I'm going to drive 60 just to be sure. In fact, if you're like most of us, you blow 70 out of the water, right? Or if, uh, let's say, uh, remember when you were growing up or if you're a teenager now, you had curfew, and if curfew for you was like, my house curfew was midnight because my mama said that nothing good ever happens after midnight. She's pretty much right about that. And uh, so curfew was midnight. If your curfew was midnight, you never once came home at 11. Hey, just, wanna, just don't want y'all to worry about where I am, so I'm going to come home an hour early. No, you knew the line. The line was midnight, right? So what are you doing? At 11.59, you're flying up your street and whipping it into the driveway and jumping out and slamming the door. Whoo, made it on time, right? That's what you're doing because we know the line, and so we're going to get up as close to that line as we can. That's natural for us as humans. That, that's kind of that's the way we operate. 
Now, with things like the speed limit or, or things like curfew, if you, if you get real close to that line and go over that line a little bit, the, 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 um, the consequences aren't that bad. Now, you maybe you're thinking, well, you didn't know my daddy. If I came on two minutes late, I'd get a beating. No, but, but I mean, generally, if, if you were five minutes late for curfew, it wasn't going to result in your death. It wasn't going to result in embarrassment for your, for your whole family. It wasn't going to result in a lost job or, a, or an ended marriage or anything like that, right? But there are moral lines that if we get so close to the line and we say, okay, here's the line, I'm going to get right up against it. And then if we accidentally cross that line, when we cross those moral lines, they can literally lead to our destruction. And so what do we need to do? If we're going to be sure that we don't cross those moral lines, we need to stay as far away from that line as we can. Look at James 1, 14 and 15. This is just reminding us of what the, the end of, of sin is. 14 says this, But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. So he's noticed something. Then after desire has conceived, so you've thought about it, now it's growing within you, this desire to do something, it gives birth to sin. You've crossed the moral line. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to what? Say it out loud as loud as you can. Death. That's where sin leads us. And we think we can, oh, I can, just, I can just play around with this. I can get up real close here to the edge. And I'm, I'm responsible enough. I won't go over the line. And we don't realize that what we are messing with can end our lives. It can end our spiritual journey. It can end all kinds of things that we've got going. It can end our marriages. It can end our relationships with our kids. And that's what we're messing around with. The natural progression of sin leads us to death. So would it not make sense then to stay back from that line? If that's where sin is leading us, wouldn't it make sense to say, if that's the path leads to death, I'm going to get way off that path. I'm going to go somewhere else. So how do we do that? Well, let me begin by telling you how we don't do it, all right? If you want to stay away from the line, the way you don't do it is saying, well, when I get to that situation, I'll make up my mind what I'm going to do then. That's not the way to do it. If you're out on a prom date and it's late at night and prom's over and you're at someone's house at an after prom party and everybody's hooking up and making out and all this kind of stuff and your boyfriend is trying to get you to go into his friend's bedroom with him, if you wait till then, then I'll decide what I'm going to do or not do. If you wait till then, you've waited too late. If you're out with, uh, on a business trip and all the guys that you're on the, business with trip, uh, on the business trip with, they go out to eat and you go with them and then they decide they want to go to a strip club or something like that and you're deciding, well then I'll decide if I'm going to go with them or if I'm not going to go with them. If you wait till then, you've waited too late. The way you do it is you set standards for yourself ahead of time. And not just any standards. You set moral standards for yourself that are so far away from the line so far back from the line that if you crossed your standard that you've set, it still wouldn't result in any kind of major consequences. Let me give you an example. Let's say the line for you is, and the line's over here, and it's adultery. I will not commit adultery. I'm faithfully married to my husband and my wife. I will not cross this moral line. Now, if you say, no, I'll go out with other ladies, I'll go to the bar and I'll go dancing because my husband doesn't like to dance, I'll go you know, hang out and have coffee with people, then you're bumping up on this line. Instead, you need to set a line somewhere back here. I've set a line for myself that says, I will not go out to eat or I'll not ride in a car by myself with any woman other than Sherry Marshall. 
And I like to go out to eat with her and ride in the car by myself with her. But I won't do that with any other woman. If you say, Cliff, I need you to counsel me, let's meet me at Panera and let's have coffee, I'm going to say no. If you say, hey, why don't you ride with me while we go over here, I'm going to say, no, I can't do that. Now, why? Am I scared of women? Absolutely not. Can I not control myself? Well, I hope I can. But here's the thing. I've set this line because I know that I don't want to have any type of emotional or physical connection with any woman other than the lady that I married 18 years ago. And so in order to be sure that I don't accidentally get in that situation, I've set a line so ridiculously far back that if I accidentally do meet somebody, let's say I'm at Starbucks and a woman sits down with me and we talk, if I accidentally cross that line, then I'm going to feel so bad about that, I'm going to be sure that I'll never get close to the adultery line. Blake, our, our youth pastor, and I've asked him if I could share this. Um, Bla- I, I really look up to Blake for this. Blake, our youth pastor, has set a line for himself that he will not see any movie that has any nudity in it whatsoever. If there's a woman breastfeeding a baby in a movie, he's not going to see it. Because he has set a line for himself to be sure that he never gets to the line of viewing pornography or, or those kind of explicit images. He set a line for himself way back here to say, if it's an R-rated movie or a PG-13 movie that's got any kind of nudity whatsoever, it's out. Doesn't matter how good the movie might be, how funny it might be, how much everybody's telling him he's supposed to see it, he's not going to see it because he set this line for himself so that if he were to accidentally go to a movie with Laura Beth and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, there's a woman without her shirt on, then he's going to feel so bad about this, he's going to be sure that he never gets close to this line over here. Does that make sense? You see, when you set a standard for yourself, what happens is you tune your conscience into that standard. So if your standard is, I'm not going to commit adultery, well, there's a whole lot you can do. There's a whole lot between, hey, I'm Cliff, and committing adultery. And there's a whole lot that you can do between here and there. But if you set your standard to, I'm not going to be alone with a woman, then you've tuned your conscience to that standard. And that's a long way away from committing adultery. See, as we finish up here, the thing that I want you to remember is this. Like I said before, everything begins small. You, you, don't just, you don't just, you know, most of us don't just all of a sudden break these big moral lines and, and create problems for our families and our relationships. So it begins with something small. So the question for, for you today is this. How far behind the line are you willing to stand? If the line is way over there, how far away from it are you willing to be? And maybe you're thinking, Cliff, you're just overreacting. This sounds crazy. I'm big boy, big girl. I can handle myself. I'm not going to do those kinds of things. But I would say to you today that you will never regret setting standards. You will never regret setting standards. If, now, you will regret not setting them. But if you, I, I've never heard of anybody that got to their end of their life and said, you know, I wish I'd have just committed more adultery. I wish I'd have deceived more people. I just did not live long enough to be more deceptive to the people I love. I wish I'd have done that. Nobody lives like that. Nobody ends their life like that. What happens is, is we get to a point and we say, I wish I'd never done that. I wish I'd never gone to that place. I wish I'd never gotten in the car with that person. I wish I'd never been in that situation. So if that's what you, and and we often say things like this, I would do anything. I would do anything to avoid that. If I could go back in time, there was nothing I would do 
to, you know, that wouldn't do to avoid that. So if you would do anything to avoid it after it's been done, why don't you do anything to avoid it now? You have the chance on this side of it to say, I'm going to do everything I can to avoid putting myself in that situation. You can avoid it ahead of time. I want to share a little story with you that some of you have heard before, and, but it's just a, a best way to make this point. Uh, how many of you have septic tanks at your house? Raise your hand. Yeah. Y'all live out in the country like me. We ain't, we ain't sewage, you know, sewer hadn't got out to where we are yet, so we have a septic tank, and we've lived in our house about 12 years, and um, how many of you have had septic tank problems? That's a lot of fun, ain't it? Well, we had been in our house about 10 years, and uh, I told Sherry one day, I said, you know what? We need to get the septic tank pumped. And she said, why do we need to do that? I said, well, you know, we've been here, I I know what I've been putting in this thing for 10 years, and um, we probably need to, you know, we probably need to get this thing pumped out. This is not, not good. And I don't know, you know, I'm not a septic tank expert. I have no idea how, you know, how much they can hold and what it can, anything like that. But I just figure 10 years, that's a long time to be putting that into anything. So, uh, so I called a septic tank place. I looked up, in the, looked up in the phone book, and it was like Dr. Flush or one of them people. And I said, hey, uh, I want you to come out here. And you're, well, how much? I was finding how much it costs so I could see if we had the money and we could save up for it. I said, how much does it cost for you all to do a septic pump and all that stuff? They said, oh, and then she told me how much it was. It was like 300 bucks or something like that. I said, okay, uh, yeah, I want you all to uh, come out and do mine. And, and she said, okay, well, uh, we can't be there today. I said, that's oh, no big deal. You can come out, you know, schedule it sometime next week. She said, oh, you're not having a problem? I said, no, I'm not having a problem. She said, oh, okay, well, that's strange. I said, what's strange about that? She said, well, most people don't call until they're having a problem. And I said, yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to avoid. You know, I didn't want to be taking the shower one day and all of a sudden, what is this coming up out of the drain, Right. And so uh, that's not what I wanted. So I said, yeah, the reason I'm calling you now is because I didn't want that to happen. So I want want to schedule this so that, you know, maybe I can have another 10 years of blissful showering and using the bathroom and not worry about stuff coming back up out of the pipes. And she said, oh, okay, no problem. So they came out and they did it and all that kind of stuff, and it was great. But for us, us it was was preventive maintenance, right? I I looked at the house. I looked at, you know, we got a septic system, and I thought, I want to stop this problem before it happens. Before the junk is coming up in our life, I want, it to, I want to be sure that doesn't happen. This setting standards is like getting that septic tank pumped. You don't want to wait until you've crossed this moral line and you got this garbage just pumping up into your life and it's messing up your life and it's messing up the life of your, your spouse and your kids and all your friends and all this kind of stuff. You want to do something about it before it gets to that point. So setting standards for us is like preventive maintenance. It's saying, I'm going to do something about this before the problem happens because I know that if I let it go unchecked, one day there will be a problem. Because there's the capacity within me to do evil. There's evil desire that lives in my heart. So this is what I want us to do. If you are a follower of Christ, I want you to take some time this afternoon, tomorrow morning, Tuesday, whenever you get the chance, but do it before next Sunday. If you're a follower of Christ, and I want you to think about your life, and I want you to think about the situations you don't want to find yourself in, and I want you to set some standards. And it would be good if you would write them down on paper. 
If you're a woman and you don't want to ever commit adultery against your husband, then you figure out, all right, what's the standards I'm going to set in my life? If you're a teenager and you know I don't want to ever be, you know, falling down drunk on a Friday night after a ball game, then you need to figure out what are the standards I'm going to set for myself so that I won't end up in that position. Wherever you are, wherever place you are in life, you're going to have to set those standards for yourself. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, I want you to listen very closely to me. If you have not accepted Christ, and you're here today and you say, I don't even know, you know what's going on and really why I'm here. You need to understand that sin lives in you, just like it lives in me. But the difference between me and you is this. I have asked Christ to forgive me of my sin. I have told Christ that I can't do anything about this sin that lives in me, and I need His forgiveness. And so even though the nature of sin still lives in me, Christ has covered that sin by His sacrifice on the cross. He has paid it. He said, okay, that sin lives in you, and I know it's still there, but I've paid that for you, and now you can live a better life. If you're not a follower of Christ, that sin that lives in you, it will lead to death, just like it said in James 1.15, but it will not just lead to a physical death here, it will lead to a spiritual death, and you will not experience life after death in heaven. In fact, what you will experience is an eternal death in a place called hell. So if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, if you have not been forgiven of your sins, you need to do that today. So I want everybody to bow your heads. And if you would say today, you would understand and know that you need to be forgiven of your sins, you can pray this prayer after me and just pray these words and you have to mean them in your heart. Pray this. God, I know that I'm sinful. I know that I have the nature of sin living in me. I can't do anything about it on my own. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe He shed His blood. And I also believe that that blood can forgive me of my sin. Please forgive me today. Please come into my life. And I promise to live for you every day for the rest of my life. Amen. If you prayed that today for the very first time, uh, what I want you to do is when, when we're done here, the band's come, coming up now and they're going to lead us in a closing song. Uh, when we're done here in a minute after the closing song, I want you to be sure and tell me or tell Donnie that you've done that. Or there's a place on the bottom of your... Um, newsletter thing you can fill out and say I accepted Christ as my Savior today but be sure that you do that because there's some things that we need to do to follow up with you nothing weird okay but just to kind of help you understand about the commitment you've just made now if you're already a follower of Christ like I said a while ago think about your life spend some time this week saying all right where's the places I'm likely to be dumb at where's the places I've been dumb before morally and, uh, and begin to live differently and set yourself some standards let somebody stand up hey if, now don't raise your hand uh, just because I'm up here, all right? But if, if you come to this place week after week and you think, you know what, this is a pretty good place to come to, I want you to raise your hand up. All right. Now, if you would also say, you know what, this is a pretty good place to come, and I can think of at least one person that needs to experience this too, raise your hand again. All right. Go find that person this week.
and ask them to come back with you next week. Donnie's going to continue this series next week on the best question ever. It's good stuff. This is great stuff that people need to be hearing. Invite them to come with you next week, all right? Let's close by singing a new song and singing, shouting our praise to Christ.